Amen. For endless days, we will sing your praise. And uh, I'm thankful that the endless days don't start later. They start right now. And that we today can gather together to praise the name of the Lord our God. I'm glad to be able to gather with you this morning. Um, Again, I just want to reiterate, if you are new with us today, you're joining us for the first time, it's a privilege and honor to have you joining us. Uh, My name's Jason Wing. I'm the lead pastor here, and I would love to take a moment to meet you afterwards. If you have time to come and introduce yourself, I'd love to say hi. And for all of you who are joining online as well on the live stream or listening in later, it's a a blessing to have everybody joining us online today. As we get ready to open God's word, I want to start out with uh, just telling you a story. It's the story of a woman some of you have heard of named Corey Ten Boom. Uh, Corey Ten Boom was born in Amsterdam, living for the Lord, uh, World War II occurred and um, in 1942, she was age 50 at that time, she started working with her parents in Amsterdam to help protect Jews from the Nazi regime. Um, She and her family would open up their home and they would actually let Jews come in and find refuge in their home. They actually created a secret room in her own bedroom with kind of an air ventilation system and an alarm system, things like that, where uh, they could quickly and uh, safely hide uh, Jews whenever the Nazis would come by for uh, kind of a checkup and things like that. It's, it's estimated that um, in her time of serving that there are approximately 800, maybe up to 1,000 Jews who were spared because of the efforts of Corrie ten Boom and her family. Eventually, in February of 1944, she was 52 years old. Uh, she and her family were caught providing this uh, protection for Jews. They were immediately imprisoned. Her father was elderly at that time, and after being in prison for 10 days, he passed away. Shortly after that, Corey and her sister Betsy were transferred um, from Amsterdam to a, a prison, a concentration camp in northern Germany in a, uh, a place called Ravensbrück. While they were there imprisoned, uh, they shared the gospel. Other women came to know Jesus. They continued to proclaim hope that came through knowing Christ. Uh, Corey suffered at the hands of uh, the guards and they, there was hunger and food issues and um, you know, physical pain inflicted on them. Actually, uh, her sister Betsy eventually died in prison there. Corey Ten Boom would talk about how one of her first days at Raven, uh, Ravenbrook Prison that they, um, the guards were just so horrific to her. They made her uh, strip naked and shower and these male guards just watched as you know, they, their leering eyes, their jokes, their laughs, their scoffing. And she talked about how just how embarrassing that was and how difficult that was. After 10 months in the camp, uh, Corey Ten Boom was released from Ravensbrook. She returned home to the Netherlands. Once she got home, she actually opened a a house for the mentally ill to come and live. And then in 1945, um, you know, the war was over and she ended up about a year after that traveling through parts of Europe, telling her story, sharing the gospel, proclaiming the message of Christ. She ended up writing a book called The Hiding Place And in that book, she writes about one of her most memorable nights um, in ministry as she would travel throughout Europe telling people of Jesus. And I just want to read to you a portion of her book. She said, it was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. 
And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, my sister's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said. To think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. For I have asked the Lord to forgive my sins and I am now a Christian. And I have asked the Lord to bring me one of my victims so that I might ask their forgiveness. Fraulein Ten Boom, will you forgive me? His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And here's what she says. And I who preached so often to the people of the need to forgive kept my hand at my side. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. Corey Ten Boom was a strong believer. But here's the reality. Even the strongest of Christians can have serious struggles forgiving those who have harmed them. Today, we're gonna to be talking about forgiveness. This is week two in our short sermon series called Asking for a Friend, part two. We call this Asking for a Friend because we are addressing questions in this sermon series that Christians are often afraid to say out loud. We think them inside, but we're afraid to express them outside. We call this Asking for a Friend, part two, because last year we did part one and we addressed several other questions like this. Last Sunday, we covered the question that many of us often work through, and that is, how can we really believe in a God who allows so much suffering to occur in the world? Today, the question that we're gonna be answering is this, do I really have to forgive that person? Do I really have to forgive that person? Who's that person? You know who that person is? That person is the person that you're probably thinking about right now. That person is the person with the face that came to your mind as soon as I said this message is gonna be on forgiveness. How do I really forgive that person? Do I have to? It can be incredibly hard to forgive, can't it? It can be incredibly difficult to forgive. At the same time, we have a savior who's incredibly good at doing hard things, isn't he? We have a savior who's incredibly good at doing things that seem impossible. Here's the one truth that I want you to take away from this sermon today as we go through this message. Here's the one truth. The gospel frees you to forgive the worst in others just as God has forgiven the worst in you. The gospel is what frees you to forgive the worst in others just as God has forgiven the worst in you. That's the big idea. I wanna break it down into three chunks for us today. I want us to work through this in three uh, small questions. The first question is, what is the gospel? If we're gonna talk about how the gospel frees us, then the first question we've gotta answer is what is the gospel? Second question we're gonna cover, what is forgiveness? A lot of people have misunderstandings of forgiveness. We make assumptions about it. We're gonna talk about what forgiveness really is. Third thing, how does the gospel actually free us to forgive the worst in others, all right? So what is the gospel? What is forgiveness? How does the gospel free us to forgive others? My prayer is that for you, if you're here today, and forgiveness is a very real issue for you right now. You've been wounded, you've been hurt. My prayer is that today, the Lord will set you free from the bondage of bitterness and resentment. All right, let's tackle the first question. What is the gospel? 
the gospel. The word gospel means good news. So when we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're talking about the good news about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. When we talk about the, the gospel, Christians use it all the time. I want us to first understand the gospel is news. We say it's good news, but it is news. In other words, it's something that happened that we now tell about. It's, it's something that is historical fact occurrences that have happened in human history and now just like the news goes out over our radio stations our podcasts you know the television screen we report the news we tell the good news something has happened well what is the news according to the bible the apostle paul summarizes the good news this way in first corinthians 15 verse 3 and 4 the apostle paul says for what i received i passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Guys, this is the news of the gospel message. This is the historical facts of what has happened with Jesus Christ. He lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again on the third day. That's the good news, that's the news. But here's the question, what makes that news actually good news? What's so good about that news? The truth is you'll never really see that as good news unless you first understand the bad news. The scripture reveals to us not just the good news of Jesus, but the bad news about our sin. Here's what the scripture tells us. The scripture tells us that all of us are sinners, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. It all started with Adam's sin in the garden, Adam and Eve, God said don't do this. They did it, they sinned against God. The scripture says that from that time on, sin was passed down to all men, which is why you and I and everybody we've known in this world, we've been born with a propensity to sin. It's inside all of us. We have to teach our kids to eat their vegetables. We don't have to teach our kids to sin, right? It's just there, it comes out. It doesn't have to be taught. It's part of our nature. We all sin. We all know that we've sinned against God. We know it in our conscience. It's why we feel guilty. It's why we have conviction in our conscience. It's why we are afraid of dying and we wonder if we stand before God after our death. What, what will our judgment be like? It's because we all know that we have sinned. That's part of the bad news. The scripture says the bad news gets even deeper. The scripture also teaches that sin requires a death payment. Romans chapter six says that the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. That's why death happened after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. That death was part of the result, that, that they would surely die if they ate from the fruit of the tree. It's why spotless lambs had to be offered as a sacrifice for sin all through the Old Testament, over and over, year after year. A perfect lamb slain, its blood was shed, it died to forgive the people of their sins. It's why when Isaiah prophesied about the coming Messiah, that the, the, the 600 years before Jesus was on the earth, Isaiah prophesied and said when the Messiah comes, he's gonna be like a lamb led to be slaughtered. And by his wounds, we would become healed. So the payment for sin is death. We all have sinned, therefore we all deserve to pay the payment of death. That's the bad news. But the good news, as proclaimed by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we just read it, the good news is that Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. 
when Jesus hung on the cross, Jesus died. He died. And he wasn't dying for his own sins. He never committed any. He died for our sins. He died for yours. And he died for mine. And I'm thankful that he did. Jesus Christ died for our sins. The scriptures talk about what Christ did on the cross for us. He became the substitute that we needed. He died in our place. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, talks about what Christ did, and it says this, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, and by his wounds, if you're a Christian, you've been healed. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Right? Because when we sin, we put a barrier between us and God. There's a separation that occurs there. When Adam and Eve sinned, they, they created a separation from God. The relationship that they once had with God was fractured. There was a barrier there. And that barrier is called sin. And so in order for mankind to be brought back to God, sin has to be removed. It's got to, the payment's got to be made. Christ Jesus suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? So that he might bring us to God. 1 Timothy 3.15 says that the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus died. He came into this world to do what? To save sinners of who I am the foremost. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood. Whose blood? Jesus' blood. In him, you and I, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Guys, the bad news is that you and I should be dying to pay for our own sins. We should be the ones bearing the wrath of God on the cross. We should be the ones who, when we're buried in the grave, our souls end up in hell forever because we deserve the penalty of our sins. Yet the good news is that Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins. And when we trust in him, then our sins can be forgiven, our debt can be paid, and the barrier between us and God can be removed. That's the good news. And if you're a Christian and you've believed that, praise God. The good news is your sins, past, present, and future, have all been forgiven. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, if you haven't believed the gospel, the bad news is you will stand before the Lord in judgment one day and you will be condemned by the Lord and you, your soul will be in hell for eternity. But because Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins, when we believe upon him, our sin debt can be removed. That's the good news. We can be forgiven of our sins, which really ties into the next question. We've talked about what is the gospel, but we really need to say, what, now what is forgiveness? What really is forgiveness? The short answer is that forgiveness means to pay a debt, right? It means to, to have a debt paid. This is why when the Lord Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us, he said, you know, pray like this, Lord, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Some of the other translations of scripture say, Lord, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Sin and debt go hand in hand. 
Sin is to trespass or to create a debt that must be paid. When we sin against God, we create a debt that is owed to him. When we sin against others, we create a debt that is owed to them. Sin creates a debt and the debt must be paid. So here's the truth. When someone is forgiven, someone else paid the debt. When someone is forgiven, someone else paid the debt. Bottom line, forgiveness is not free. Forgiveness always comes at a cost. Quick little story, when George Washington was uh, in his second term as president, or first term as president, he um, went to the library, he checked out a book from the New York uh, Society Library, but he actually forgot to return it, like ever in his life. So all these years went by, and of course, uh, you know, what, what's the librarian gonna do? Are you gonna send George Washington a bill? Hey man, pay us our pennies. We know you just fought for our freedom, but come on, right? Like, it, this book, it stayed on the shelf in George Washington's home until 2010, all right? So all this time had gone by. You know how high the total book fines were for this book by the time 2010 rolled around? It was over $300,000, all right? George Washington was forgiven the debt. But the reality was that his forgiveness wasn't necessarily free. The library was owed $300,000. Someone had to forgive. Someone had to bear the cost. Someone had to make the payment or forgive the debt. Guys, forgiveness is never free. It is costly to the forgiver. When Jesus Christ forgave your sins, it was costly to him. It cost him his blood. It cost him his life. When you forgive someone else, it's gonna be costly to you. It's gonna cost you something. It's gonna require a payment, a sacrifice to be made. Forgiveness is costly. Here's what we need to understand. We, I think we all understand that. It costs us something to forgive someone else. And as costly as forgiveness is, here's something else we need to understand. It is more costly to resent than it is to forgive. Unforgiveness will cost you more than forgiveness will. Jesus taught that over and over again. Here's what Jesus tells us in Matthew 18. Jesus tells this story about a king, and the king had a servant, and this servant uh, owed the king a great debt. In our, in our day, it might be like a million dollar debt. The servant went to the, went to the king and, uh, and the king forgave him. Then that servant went out from the king and that servant, servant number one, ran into another servant, servant number two. Servant number two owed servant number one a great debt, but he couldn't pay it. And servant number one did not forgive and instead had this man cast in prison. When the king heard about it, Jesus says this, Here's what he says in Matthew 18, starting in verse 32. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in, and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. All that giant debt that he could never repay. Now he's in jail for the rest of his life. So he could never pay it off. Jesus says, here's the point, verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Not just with the mouth, not just 
with your actions, but deep in your heart. We must forgive our brothers. Jesus made the same point, but he said it much more succinctly and much more sharply. In Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15, Jesus says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Those are hard words. Those are Jesus' words. You see how much it's gonna cost you if you don't forgive? See how costly resentment is? If you refuse to forgive others, you will not be forgiven yourself. Saved people are going to forgive people. Those who are forgiven will be forgiving. Those who have Received grace are gonna extend grace. That's the point here. As costly as forgiveness is, it's far more costly to resent than it is to forgive. So the call here for you and I as Christians is to forgive as we've been forgiven. We know that. I think as Christians, we know we should forgive. But sometimes I think we're a little bit unclear about what forgiveness really is. I think sometimes it's helpful for us to say, here's what forgiveness is. It is your willingness to remove someone's debt that they owe you. Let me also share with you what forgiveness is not. I think this is helpful. Here's three things that forgiveness is not. Number one, forgiveness is not feeling good about the sinful things that have occurred. Right? Forgiveness is not feeling good about the sin that has happened to you. In fact, Forgiveness is not a feeling whatsoever. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a decision, not a feeling. When wrongdoing occurs, you, when, it, when it happens to you, you can still feel like it was wrong and at the same time have forgiveness towards the offender. Last week we talked about suffering and the challenges, the difficulties that we face in this world. Some of you, the greatest suffering that you've gone through is, has come from somebody who did something to you. Maybe somebody you loved, maybe a close friend, maybe a family member, maybe a parent, maybe a child, maybe a pastor or church leader, whatever it was, somebody has hurt you. And so now, maybe your question that you're working through is, how, how am I supposed to feel about that? And I just want to be clear with you, like, Sin doesn't feel good. You're, you're not expected to feel good when somebody has sinned against you. But here's the truth that I hope you latch onto today. You can feel hurt about the sin without wishing hell upon the sinner. You can feel hurt about the sin without wishing hell upon the sinner. Here's why. Because forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. It's a choice that you make. Forgiveness may lead to good feelings for you. You may eventually have good feelings about the situation, but forgiveness itself is not ultimately a feeling, it's a choice. Here's the second thing forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not acting like the sin never happened. That's not what forgiveness is. So many times we deal with each other in our sin and we just kind of, we don't really actually want to deal with and forgive things. We just kind of want to say, well, let's just move on. Let's just move forward. And there's this kind of expectation that can be there that, you know, these, these sinful wounds that have occurred, it's almost like we just don't want to act like they're there. Far too often we want to move forward as if everything's okay, it just never happened. Uh, last year my son Johnny played baseball, Little League baseball. And uh, 
while he was on a, at a game one day, one of the boys on his team did something wrong to Johnny and the coach addressed it. And that boy came up to Johnny and, and, and said to him, hey, uh, hey, Johnny, I'm sorry. And Johnny replied with, I forgive you. And the boy looked at Johnny and said, huh? <laughs> Most people just say, that's okay. It's kind of weird that you say, I forgive you. <laughs> and I remember that because this boy expected that we could just kind of act like everything's okay. Church family, far too often, we as adult Christians act like little league boys. We act like everything's okay. We're such, we're such people pleasers in our hearts that when the Lord convicts someone that they have done something wrong to us and they come to us to uh, express their remorse and ask for forgiveness, how quickly do we, we say things like, oh, oh you know, uh, I, I know you probably couldn't help it or it, it really probably wasn't your fault or, or sometimes we even say this, you know what, it's fine, it's okay. I want you to catch this right now, you guys. Sin is not fine. Sin is not okay. If sin was fine, if sin was okay, Jesus would never have to pay for it on the cross. If sin was fine and okay, you and I would never have to have a lesson about forgiveness. The Bible would never have taught us about it. Sin is not fine, it's not okay. So when people come to us and they say, I was wrong, you know, please forgive me, we don't just need to hustle past it. Oh yeah, you know, everything's fine, everything's okay. We don't, you know what? When people are convicted of their sin that way, they need to hear us say the words, you know what? I forgive you. I forgive you. Parents in the room, we need to teach our children when they've sinned and done something wrong, we need to teach them to stop going to people and saying the words, I'm sorry. I'm sorry doesn't really mean much. I'm sorry could mean, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry I'm about to get a consequence for this. Uh, they might be sorry that they hurt the person, but it's much better for us to teach our children to say, you know what, I was wrong. Please forgive me. It's not just a kid's thing either, right? It would be much better for us as adults if we got the whole I'm sorry thing out of our language and became more precise and just said, you know what, I was wrong. I know that I hurt you. Please forgive me. And when those words are said to us, we need to be the people who say, that did hurt me, but I forgive you. I forgive you. We need to say the words I forgive you. Sometimes people need to hear the words I forgive you. Because here's the thing. God doesn't just act like our sin never happened. Even after we've been a Christian and we're following the Lord and we still sin against the Lord, he doesn't just act like it never happened. Rather, he lovingly corrects us when it happens. He disciplines us. That's what Hebrews chapter 12 verse six says. The Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. So this is a, a fine line of our Christian understanding. Ultimately, our, our, the condemnation for our sin is removed, but the Lord doesn't just ignore the sin in our lives when it's there. Rather than deal with it with condemnation, he deals with it with discipline. Um, Thomas Watson wrote a big book called The Body of Divinity, and in it he has a really good quote about this. Here's what he says. He says, though a child of God, after pardon, may incur God's fatherly displeasure, yet his judicial wrath is removed. Though he may lay on the rod, he has taken away the curse. Amen. Correction may befall the saints, but not destruction. That's a good summary of how God approaches sin in the life of a Christian. Guys, uh, forgiveness, godly forgiveness, 
It's like a surgeon's scalpel. It's not like a Band-Aid. It's not like a butcher's knife, right? It's, it, it neither ignorantly covers the sin, nor does it recklessly attack. It, it, it painfully but graciously and skillfully removes the corruption inside. It's like a surgeon's and a scalpel. Forgiveness is not acting like the sin never happened. Rather, it's extending love and grace while addressing what happened. Which leads to the third thing that forgiveness is not. Guys, forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. Forgiveness is a choice that rests solely upon you. Reconciliation is an experience that is dependent upon actions from others. Forgiveness is solely dependent upon you. Reconciliation is an experience that's dependent upon others. Guys, we all want reconciliation to occur. When forgiveness is on our hearts, we want to experience reconciliation. Sometimes we pursue reconciliation because we're the one who's done wrong. Sometimes we pursue reconciliation because someone has done wrong to us. In other words, sometimes we are the offender. Other times we are the offended. And Jesus tells us how to deal with both. Jesus says, when you are the offender, here's how you need to handle it. Matthew 5 talks about this. Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 23 and 24, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, you leave your gift there before the altar and go, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. To put it in today's terms, hey, look, we come to church. We offer the Lord the sacrifice of our worship and our money and our listening ear to what he wants to say to us through his, through his word. If we are coming to church and kind of going through the motions of worship, and here we are and we remember, you know what? I have wronged that person. Jesus is saying, go. Take a step to make it right before you kind of come to church and make your offerings to the Lord. We as the offender need to take a step towards reconciliation but also when we are the offended person we also initiate a step towards reconciliation Jesus goes on to say in Matthew chapter 18 verse 15 Jesus says if your brother sins against you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone if he listens to you you have gained your brother right you've reconciled but how does that happen if somebody has sinned against you you go to them and you share that offense. You don't do it in public. You don't do a Facebook post. You don't, you know, kind of just sh- share it with your friends because you just need to share your heart. You know, like you go to that person and you say, no, you've offended me. We got to work this out. And you go. And if he listens to you, praise God. You can be reconciled to your brother. Whether you are the offender or the offended person, it is ideal when both parties come together for reconciliation. But the truth is, that's not always possible. Because reconciliation depends on somebody else reciprocating. And you don't always get the reciprocation that you're hoping for. On Saturday mornings right now, we have a group of men from the church that meet at our main church building. It's been sweet times to be together on Saturday mornings. And uh, what we're doing week after week is we're having a, a different man from our church each share the testimony of how God has worked in their life. And yesterday, one of the brothers from our church was sharing his testimony about how uh, over 10 years ago, he went through a divorce and it was very difficult. 
He said that early on in, when, that, when the divorce first started being discussed, that he, the Lord put it on his heart to make a decision to say, you know what, I am gonna pursue forgiveness with this woman no matter the outcome. I wanna have a forgiving heart. That's the way he carried himself even through the divorce as they proceeded. His wife at that time never reciprocated. She didn't wanna reconcile. She wasn't open to that. She was surprised that he was wanting to reconcile and that he had a forgiving heart. And just hours before their court proceeding, he got to tell her where that forgiving heart came from. And he shared with her that it was the forgiving heart of Jesus that motivated him to forgive her. She never reciprocated. She didn't respond by repenting and coming back, coming to the Lord. But yet when this man was sharing his testimony with us yesterday, over 10 years since that has occurred, he wept because he wants her to eventually come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. He may have not received reconciliation, but he surely has forgiveness in his heart. You may not always be able to get reconciliation because it's dependent upon other people. You can always have a forgiving heart because it's a choice that you make for yourself. How do you know? How do you know if you have a forgiving heart towards someone? We're really good at tricking ourselves, aren't we? We lie to ourselves all the time. We know something's gone wrong with somebody and we're like, oh, you know, I forgive them. Yeah, you know, I forgive them. And really what we mean is, you know, I know I'm supposed to forgive them. Uh, I, uh, I don't really want to deal with this anymore and I know if I say I'm not forgiving towards them, I'm going to have to deal with it. So we just kind of lie to ourselves sometimes. How do, we, how do we know we're not lying to ourselves? How do we know if we have a truly forgiving heart? Here's five evidences for you. Five evidences, biblically speaking, from a truly forgiving heart. The first one is this. A truly forgiving heart will refrain from vengeful actions toward them. You'll refrain from vengeful actions toward them. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15, we just preached on this a few weeks ago. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Romans 12, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, the vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. Man, when somebody's wronged us, we want to take vengeance, don't we? We want to make sure they pay. God says, leave that in my hands. Leave that to me. If you have a truly forgiving heart, you will refrain from vengeful actions towards them. Number two, you will refrain from rejoicing during their hurts. When something goes wrong in their life, when something negative comes their way, when things don't go as well as they hoped, whatever it might be, man, there is a propensity in us to kind of just have this secret little like smile on our face. Proverbs 24, 17 says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. You really have a forgiving spirit? You won't rejoice when the offender is hurting. Number three, you will desire their well-being. You'll desire their well-being. Jesus says, bless those who curse you, Luke 6, 28. Pray for those who abuse you. Pray for them. That's the next evidence. Number four, you'll be praying for them. Matthew 5, Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. 
It's hard to have unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody you're praying for, isn't it? Pray for them. See, here's the thing. Prayer, when we really pray, this is why we struggle to pray, because we have to actually kind of be heart-to-heart with God when we pray. He sees our hearts. When we pray, and when we pray sincerely, the Lord knows what's really going on. We can't fake him out. We, you know. So when we pray for someone, the Lord knows the real condition of our heart toward that person. And when we get open with our hearts before the Lord and we're honest about our struggles with other people, the Lord will teach us how to rightly pray for those people. When our hearts are really moving towards forgiveness, we'll pray for them. Number five, we will be moving towards reconciliation with them. When we really forgive someone, when we have a heart of forgiveness towards them, we will be moving towards reconciliation with them. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As much as it depends on you, live peaceably. You know, uh, I, I tell people all the time, you know, um, you know how you're doing on forgiveness by whether or not you can pass the Kroger test. The Kroger test. Some of you are smiling because you know what I mean. You're going through Kroger and you see that person down the aisle, little ways. What do you do? Quickly take a detour down another aisle. Get out your phone and act like you don't see him. You know, whatever we do, right? We do these things. You know, if you're not passing the Kroger test with people, then you know that you're not really on track toward forgiveness. The scriptures teaches us that we are the ones who, as much as it depends on you, we take a step towards forgiveness. If, if they call us and they say, hey, let's work out this problem, we reciprocate. We say, okay, we're open to that. If we are the ones that are offended, we go to them and, and we don't just push it aside, but we say, hey, you know what? I've, I've got something in my heart I need to talk to you about. As much as it depends on us, we move toward reconciliation. They may not reciprocate. They may not want anything to do with it. They may not give a rip. They may not care about forgiving us. They may not want reconciliation at all, but as much as it depends on us, we take a step toward it. Those are the evidences of a truly forgiving heart. Now, most of us who are believers and Christians in this room, we, we say, yes, I know I need to forgive. We might even say, yes, I know that bitterness and unforgiveness is gonna cost me more in the long run. It's gonna be difficult. So our question is, how? How do I do it? Because sometimes we've been hurt so deeply that we don't know how we can forgive. We don't know how we can express that heart of Jesus towards people. Here's the answer. You know how you forgive? You forgive through the power of the gospel. You forgive through the power of the gospel. You believe the truth about the gospel. Here's what I mean by that. Here's three ways that believing the gospel actually empowers you and frees you to forgive somebody. Here's the first thing. The gospel enables you to forgive, first of all, by doing this, by softening your heart and by reminding you that your worst sins have been forgiven by God. Your worst sins have been forgiven by God. Listen, what's the worst thing you've ever done in your life? We don't even like to think about it most of the time. We don't want to remember that stuff. It's uncomfortable. There are things in our lives that we hope nobody ever finds out. We are so ashamed and embarrassed of them. Let me tell you something. If you are a Christian, you've been forgiven of that. The Lord Jesus hung on the cross 2,000 years ago knowing full well that you would forget the worst, that you would commit the worst of your sins and he hung on the cross and he died for you anyways and that sin has been forgiven by the Lord Jesus. He died for you knowing you would commit it. 
All your sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that softens your heart when you think about the worst things that have been done towards you. Though your sins be as scarlet, the scripture says, they shall be made what? White as snow. Forgiven. Jesus had this situation in Luke chapter seven. Luke chapter seven, there's this woman who comes and she's weeping and she's washing Jesus' feet with her tears and with her hair. And the Pharisees, the self-righteous Pharisees, they come up to Jesus and they say, essentially say, Jesus, if you knew what kind of woman she was, you wouldn't even want anything to do with her. You know what Jesus says to those Pharisees? Here's what he says to those Pharisees. He says to those, uh, he says those who are uh, forgiven little, love little. But those who are forgiven much, love much. In other words, hey Pharisees, you don't even realize how much you've been forgiven. And that's why you are as unloving as you are. This woman has come to grips with the depravity of her sin and she knows that God has forgiven her. So she loves much. Church family, when we refuse to forgive, it's because we aren't realizing how much we've been forgiven. But when you realize how much you've been forgiven, it softens your heart to forgive others. Ken Sandy wrote a book called The Peacemakers. And in that book, Ken Sandy says this. He says, because Christians are the most forgiven people in the world, we can be the most forgiving people in the world. Wouldn't that be great if Christians were actually the most forgiving people in the world? Man, we live so contrary to the gospel sometimes. Do you, if you're a Christian here today, do you actually view yourself as one of the most forgiven people in the world? You know who doesn't realize they're the most forgiven people in the world? You know, Pharisees. The self-righteous. Oh, no, I'm not, we're not, I'm not, I don't need to be forgiven that much. That's self-righteous Pharisee thinking. But when you recognize I am one of the most forgiven people in the world, then that's when your heart changes and you become one of the most forgiving people in the world. The gospel enables you to forgive because it reminds you that the worst of your sins have been forgiven. It softens your heart. When you believe the gospel, it doesn't just soften your heart. You know what else it does? It changes your heart. It transforms your heart. You get a whole new heart. So what's the second way that the gospel enables you to forgive? It changes your heart by, per, by putting the forgiving heart of God inside of you. When you become a Christian, the scripture says that the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. That God's heart, he starts to change you from the inside out. Romans chapter five, verse five and six says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If you are a Christian and the Holy Spirit lives in you, then the Spirit of God, the heart of God is alive in you. It's in there. And the last time I checked, God's heart is a heart of love and forgiveness. God's love is a type of love that was given to us while we were still sinners. God's love is a love that was given to us and it keeps no record of wrongs. 
God's love is a love that separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. God's love is a love that cleanses us from all our unrighteousness. God's love is a love that forgives all of our iniquities and blots out all of our transgressions. God's love is alive inside of you if you are a Christian and it wants to burst out of you towards other people who have sinned against you. This is why for the Christian, it is far more natural for you to forgive than to be unforgiving. It's why you feel conviction in your heart. Something's wrong when you're unforgiving. It's because you have a new heart and the new heart of God inside of you is a forgiving heart. When you believe the gospel, it changes your heart, makes it more like God's heart. His heart is one that loves to forgive, which means this is true also. When you believe the gospel, it doesn't just soften your heart, it doesn't just change your heart, but it also does this. Number three, it empowers your heart to forgive the things that you think are unforgivable. It empowers your heart. Brothers and sisters, I know it is hard to forgive. There will be times when we know we should forgive, but we feel like we can't forgive. Here's the truth. You can't forgive. You and I, we can't forgive the way we should. But our Savior can. Our God can. And when our God is alive and moving in our hearts, then we can forgive the things that we think are unforgivable, not through our own strength, but through the strength of him who lives in us. Remember Corey Ten Boom? Her situation, being in that prison camp, that guard that did the unthinkable to her, later he comes up to her after preaching this, after she shared the testimony, this man came up to her and asked for her forgiveness. Remember we talked about it at the beginning. She felt like she couldn't do it. I want you to hear this story in her own words. This is Corey Ten Boom sharing her own story about this. Check it out. It was some time ago that I was in Berlin. And there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Boom, I am glad to see you. Do it was some time ago that I was in Berlin. And there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Boom, I am glad to see you. It was some time ago that I was in Berlin. And there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Boom, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? And suddenly I saw that man that was one of the most cruel aufseers, guards. In the concentration, concentration camp. And that man said, I have, I'm now a Christian. I have found the Lord Jesus. I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world. Also for my sins. I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done. But then I have asked God grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness. And Fräulein Tambom wants him here forgiven. Will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But when I saw, when I experienced that I could not forgive, suddenly I knew I myself have no forgiveness. Do you know that Jesus has said that? 
When you do not forgive those who have sinned against you, my heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. I, I knew, oh, I'm not ready for Jesus coming because I have no forgiveness for my sins. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I took one of these beautiful texts, one of these boundless resources, Romans 5, 5. The love of God is shed abroad into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who is given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. Can you forgive? Sometimes you don't think you can, but he can, and he will through you. The gospel empowers you to forgive what seems to be unforgivable. I want to close today by sharing with you two straightforward passages of scripture. You'll be familiar with them, but I want to let them touch your heart today as we close. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Christian, how has the Lord forgiven you? He has forgiven you joyfully, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He has forgiven you completely. He separates your sin as far as east is from the west. He keeps no record of wrongs. He has forgiven you eternally. All your iniquity has been forgiven and blotted out of his book. He even forgives you unexpectedly. The heart of Jesus hangs on the cross sees sinners in front of him and says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Nobody in that moment asked Jesus for forgiveness, but his heart was still to forgive them. The person who has wronged you, listen, may never come to you asking for forgiveness. The heart of Jesus will still wish forgiveness toward them. So let me ask you two questions as we close. Are you struggling to forgive someone today? Are you struggling to forgive someone today? Second question, are you refusing to forgive someone today? Are you refusing to forgive someone? Listen, if you are refusing to forgive someone, you are living in a prison. You are enslaved 
to bitterness. You are chained to resentment. But it is the power of the gospel that will break that chain. It is the power of the gospel that will set you free. It is the power of the gospel that will release you from the stronghold of bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. The gospel frees you to forgive the worst in others just as God has forgiven the worst in you. So brothers and sisters, let's forgive today as we've been forgiven. Let's forgive the unforgivable in others because God has forgiven the unforgivable in us. Let's ask for the forgiving heart of God to be fully on display in our lives and let's make the costly sacrifice of forgiveness and let's do it today because when you do, you will be free. I'm gonna pray and as I'm praying, I'm gonna be praying out loud and I want to encourage you now to take these moments to pray silently in your heart The Lord might be stirring some of you right now. You you know it. The easy thing to do would be for us to just close this prayer and, you know, kind of sing our closing song and move on. Uh, I don't think that's what the Lord wants for some of you in this room today. In fact, when Caleb comes to lead us in a moment, whenever we do our closing song, Caleb always says, hey, stand and sing with us. I'm just giving you permission right now. You don't have to do that. You can stay in your seat. You can... Pray in your heart to the Lord. Some of you right now may need to go to somebody else in this room, get something right with them. Some of you may need to step out of this room and make a phone call to somebody right now and take a step towards reconciliation. Some of you may just need to be honest before the Lord about the reality of the unforgiveness that's in your heart. Some of you may be here and really you're haunted by the the, uh, sins of your own life that you feel like Can I really be forgiven? If you confess your sins, the scripture says, our God is faithful and just to cleanse you of all your sin and to forgive you of all of your unrighteousness. Some of you may need God's forgiveness today. That's what we call being saved. You believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. He died on the cross in your place for your sins. That's the gospel. And it's good news for you today if you believe it. So as I pray, You pray silently in your heart towards the Lord and when Caleb comes and leads us in our closing song, you just do whatever the Lord is calling you to do. You respond as the Spirit is moving in your heart to respond. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we stop for a moment and uh, thank you for the powerful, convicting, heart-changing truths of your word. Lord, your word, it, it confronts us head on, Lord. It directs, our, it directs our attention to the things we would just prefer to not have to deal with. And I thank you, Lord, that you don't, you don't treat us like that. Lord, thank you that you wanna come to us with a surgeon's scalpel and cut out the cancer of unforgiveness from our hearts and from our lives. We don't wanna be people of bitterness. We don't wanna be people of resentment. We don't want those roots to grow and spring up and cause us to trip and stumble and fumble through our Christian lives. Lord, we wanna be able to live for you unhindered, not held by the trappings and the chains of resentment and unforgiveness. So Lord, I pray for everybody in this room right now that we would all have totally open hearts to you, Lord. Whatever it is that you're speaking to our hearts, Lord, let our hearts be open to you. Lord, give everybody in this room ears to hear what you're saying to your church right now. I ask, Lord, 
that if there are people today who know they need to forgive someone, I pray that they would put it off no longer and that they would forgive as they've been forgiven. I pray if there are people who need to take a step towards reconciliation, that they would delay no longer, but that today would be the day they take that step. I pray, Lord, for those who are here today and they need to receive your forgiveness for their own sins. I pray, Lord, that they would believe you, that you will cleanse them from all of their unrighteousness if they confess their sin to you and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and that they would be saved. Lord, thank you that you are a gracious and forgiving God. Jesus, thank you that you shed your blood to forgive us of all of our sins. It's in Jesus' name I pray now. Amen.